of the purse strings, not the power of micromanagement, if it concludes the president has abused his authority. The goal of this book is not to weaken current or future presidents, nor to tilt the balance of power toward this or any future Congress. If our president is to be a respected and effective commander-in-chief at home and first ambassador to a troubled world, even if he sometimes makes mistakes, the office must truly be seated with great powers. But those powers cannot and should not be unchecked. If even some of the most esteemed figures in our history could not be fully trusted with the power of government, surely the current crop of politicians deserves the same or more scrutiny. Our nation's founders set the three branches of government in opposition, each a check on the others, as a bulwark against tyranny. But the massive growth of the executive branch has tilted the scale heavily in its favor, exposing all Americans to its excesses and abuses. Safeguarding freedom for the next generations will depend upon employing strong and sensible restraints on the growing executive branch that are not dependent upon the whims or personalities of any Washington politician. They must endure beyond the debates of today. An important step toward restoring balance and reducing the runaway charity-like spending power of Congress is to shine a light on some of its most flawed practices. I've lost count of the number of times we have been asked to vote on massive spending bills that almost none of my colleagues has completely read or fully understands. That's why I support the concept of a two-year budget cycle to at least give members of Congress, as well as the American people, a greatly enhanced ability to understand and impact the way in which trillions of dollars are being spent. The public has a right to know what the government is doing, and the truth is, we have much to learn from public input. But we must go beyond just managing money. We must restore trust. The Oversight Committee has a rich and honorable history in bringing hard truths to the public's view. Oversight is crucial, since government cannot be trusted always to do the right thing. Ideally, the Speaker of the House and Congress as a whole could bring contempt charges or other legal remedies to bear on the executive branch, or could, if they possess the courage, be bolstered by legislation reaffirming that power. The Oversight Committee, by contrast, currently has only the ability to show what's wrong, not to punish anyone for it. But showing what's wrong is not being silent about it. That's why the oversight function can make a difference. For example, Harry Truman's leadership of a Senate committee to investigate wasteful military spending made him a prominent figure leading up to his selection as Franklin D. Roosevelt's final vice presidential running mate. In the late 1950s, Robert F. Kennedy first butted heads with Teamsters leader Jimmy Hoffa while serving as chief counsel and investigator of a select congressional committee looking into corrupt union practices. One of my own predecessors as chairman of the Oversight Committee was Representative Dan Burton, Republican from Indiana, who permanently altered the public perception of Al Gore by drawing attention to illegal campaign contributions the Clinton-Gore campaign had received from Buddhist monks who had clearly not taken vows of poverty. Sometimes we even need oversight of the people who are supposed to be doing oversight, as when the committee, under the chairmanship of Representative Tom Davis, Republican from Virginia, 
exposed gross mismanagement and incompetence at the Mineral Management Service, MMS, which was tasked with leasing federal lands to gas and oil companies. When Congress changed hands and Democrat Henry Waxman assumed the chair, he terminated our investigation, preferring to scrutinize businesses and industries he was unsympathetic to rather than wrongdoing in the government and the public sector. I often wondered where the G in the OGR committee went during his tenure. He should have kept the focus on Washington, for he found himself embarrassed months later when an inspector general reported that MMS staffers had abused drugs and had affairs with members of the industries they were supposed to be keeping an eye on and from which they were supposed to be collecting royalties for the benefit of the taxpayers. The irresponsibility of the MMS would become even more costly during its inept handling of events preceding the BP oil spill.